being an educator about the benefits of pelvic steaming, I just want people to understand is like the steam itself is doing something just by increasing that circulation and that warmth. It's allowing the body to function in the way that the body should be functioning, right? So say somebody's labor is stalled or delayed because they are scared, right? Or just in a scary environment that they don't feel safe in. You offer that steaming and now what? Now maybe they won't need that induction. Maybe they won't need those interventions, which ultimately maternal mortality rates have been in the press lately and a topic because in the U.S. women are dying at like a really high rate compared to everywhere else in the world, right? And among the developed nations. And so again, we look at these interventions and again, these interventions, if you don't have to use them, it's safer. Oh, Kelly Garza's here, the steamy chick. I love this woman. We have so much fun when we chat and we finally decided let's just nail down a time to record one of these amazing conversations. She is one of a kind. If you don't know anything about vaginal steaming, also known as V-steaming, pelvic steaming, yoni steaming, it has so many applications. We're going to be focusing today in this conversation on the uses late in pregnancy. It's contraindicated throughout most of pregnancy. Like, let's be clear. It can cause miscarriage and everything else, especially if you're in your fertility journey and all of that. But if you're late in the postpartum period, it can help prepare you for labor. It can also have some great, it has some great healing attributes in the postpartum period. So it'll help you get you back on your feet. And um, this conversation just speaks for itself. Kelly and I have been going back and forth for months, years now, and uh, we finally got on the podcast together. So you're going to love what Kelly has to offer. All of, many of my clients are, are using vaginal steaming and they're like, holy shit, how did I not? know about this before. <laughs> so with that, with that being said, there are a couple of sponsors here that are also going to be helpful on your pregnancy and postpartum journey. First off, BirthFit, they make a, a, they have a series of courses. If you heard Lindsay Cantu on my podcast last week, episode 116, it kind of, she kind of just speaks for herself. I don't need to fluff her up anymore. This woman is incredible. She's an acupuncturist, CrossFit gym owner, and is a master of anatomy and physiology as it pertains to exercise. And she's one of the few people out there who specializes in catering these programs to women in the pregnancy and postpartum specific phases of their lives. So at BirthFit, they've got their B community. Access to that gives you, you know, regular webinars in your collective, your community of women who are in the same space as you, seeking out the same insights, asking the same questions. And you can access all their courses. But I will say you can go and just buy specific courses. If you just want to try out their postpartum course, for example, which they've given me access to, it is incredible. Instructional videos. Every day there is a breakdown of what you're going to be doing. And it starts light and it gets and it gets a little bit harder as you progress through your postpartum phase. Um, there's breathing. There's stretching. There's some physical activity as well. Get your heart rate up. Get your muscles moving. You can try out the BirthFit Basics postpartum course, the one I just described, by going to birthfit.com and use code BELOVED. You'll save 20% on the course. And while you're there, you should still be taking prenatal vitamins in the postpartum period from conception all the way through postpartum. The only brand that I recommend is Full Well Fertility, Adequate Folate, Adequate Choline, Adequate Vitamin D, Adequate Magnesium. The list goes on and on. Compare the label on the back of Full Well's Fertility, um, sorry, prenatal vitamin to any other prenatal vitamin out there and you're going to just be blown away. They also have a men's virility vitamin. Men, you guys are just as responsible for taking care of yourselves, whether you're in the fertility space, your, your, your partner, you and your partner are pregnant, or if you just had a baby, this is a great way to further nourish your, your body and your nervous system. So go to fullwellfertility.com and use code BELOVED10. You'll save 10% on your purchase. 
It's the only brand I recommend on the market, really. Our next one's a new sponsor. Um, I really, really uh, feel very grateful to be able to support Rosemary. Rosemary Marin has a company called Soul Connections. This is a company that offers one-on-one sessions. They can be done virtually or in person in order to support deep transformation and bonding between mothers and their unborn babies. This doesn't mean just for women who've had miscarriage. It doesn't mean just for women who are pregnant. It could also mean communicating with that baby that's, that's in that persistent breach position, right? Like, let's talk to the baby. Let's connect to the baby. Let's try to understand this. Rosemary draws on years of training in clinical, transpersonal, and interpersonal hypnotherapy, soul integration, and doula work. Sounds a little bit like my psychic medium friend, Emily Green, who's been on the show. But I, I think that what Rosemary does is actually a little bit different. She um, is the founder of Soul Connections. She acts as a guide for mothers, and um, she helps them connect with the essence of their babies before conception in the womb. This does not, if this sounds a little, you know, hard to imagine for you, you're not alone. Like our system has conditioned us out of the intuitive space to connect with our pregnancy in this way. But I can say, even just from the experience with my own wife, it's very, very possible. And I've told you some of my stories about connecting with the souls of our babies before they were born. So this sacred level of connection um, can and should be the backdrop for pregnancy, birth, and parenting. So Rosemary helps you do that. If you want to check her workout, go to rosemarymarin.com. That's R-O-S-E-M-A-R-Y-M-E-R-A-N.com. Schedule a session. What do you have to lose? Rosemary's out there and she's here to help you. This episode is also brought to you by Organifi. Organifi makes some, you know, I've, I've talked all about their products, but I've been recently really, really investigating the gut. And I'm, I'm training now with the Institute for Functional Medicine. Um, Mark Hyman's one of my instructors there. <laughs> and then uh, what all the instructors say is when in doubt, look at the gut. And I've been running stool analyses now for, for a couple of years. And I'm starting to see some really, really important trends. Many, many people have a disbalance in the beneficial and pathologic bacteria in their gut. And that could be, you know, the chicken or the egg. But the bottom line is that if your gut is out of out of order, you will start to see downstream issues with your nervous system, with your immune system, with your endocrine system. You're not going to be absorbing nutrients as well. Your gut's going to be inflamed. You can have pain, bloating, all of the things, diarrhea. If you're not having regular bowel movements, if you're having recurrent bacterial vaginosis, if you've got an autoimmune con- you know, disease of some sort, you got to start working on your gut. And I think that Organifi makes one of the best products out there, the most easily um, obtainable products out there. They have this product called Balance, which used to come in powder. It also comes in capsules now. And this is loaded with all sorts of species of beneficial bacteria, also known as probiotics, bacillus species, lactobacillus, saccharomyces, the list goes on and on. You're going to get, you're going to have less of the inflammation in your gut, meaning you're going to have, um, you're going to be promoting the healing of the lining of your gut. You're going to have less stuff leaking into the bloodstream that doesn't belong there. All of those other issues, the dermatitis, these um, autoimmune disorders like your early hypothyroidism, Hashimoto's, your eczema, I mean, all of this stuff will start to go away, but you have to really, really um, be diligent in fixing it. And I think Organifi makes um, a product that fits squarely into your into your, your regimen. Go to Organifi.com slash beloved and you'll save 20% on their focus capsules. Last but not least, um, since we're talking about probiotics, Bioptimizers also makes a great probiotic that I think is a perfect complement to balance because there's going to be different strains in all of these products. Um, P3OM is a product that I carry with me. In fact, we're going to be taking a flight tomorrow. At the time that I'm recording this, we're going to be flying to North Carolina tomorrow, and I know I'm probably going to 
get some tummy issues because I'm going to be getting not the best coffee, not the best food in the airports, whatever it is. And we're traveling with little kids. We're on airplanes. We're going to be picking up stuff along the way. So probiotic like P-Theorem is sort of a must-have in your in your travel-on or your carry-on. Um, go to holi- uh, excuse me, bioptimizers.com slash holistic OBGYN and you'll save 10% on your purchase. The code there is also um, beloved if you just wanted to just enter that code, but you'll, you'll save some money. And who doesn't like saving money? All right. Without further ado, you're going to love this conversation. Kelly and I have so much fun. Um, this is the steamy chick, Kelly Garza, here on the Holistic OBGYN podcast. If, you're, if anything in the episode strikes a chord for you in a good way, <laughs> share it with your friends. Leave us a five-star review. Believe it or not, it really, really matters. And of course, support the sponsors so they can keep the lights on here at the show. All righty. Here is Kelly. You're going to love this one. Kelly, welcome. Welcome to, I I don't know if you've been on my podcast before. It seems like we've known each other for a long time, but uh, you are the steamy chick. Um, (laughs) I I feel like I have gotten to know you even more than you know, because I took your steaming facilitator, your, your level one certification, and I have since furthered this uh, this moniker of being this heretic as an OBGYN because I'm recommending this crazy vaginal steaming, pelvic steaming practice. So I wanted to bring you on the show <laughs> to bring the, the, the head honcho here. Um, this is an ancient practice. Uh, so why don't we start with there? Why don't we start a l- with a little bit of the history and what are we actually talking about for people that have absolutely no idea what we're, what we're doing here? For sure. Thanks for having me, Nathan. We've actually tried to do this podcast interview several times, and this is the first time it's landing. So <laughs> yeah, right. I'm you glad know, you're always. here finally. <laughs> yeah, but what happens is we always have phone conversations, and we're like, "Dang it, we should have recorded this." <laughs> this would have been. I feel it's podcast. like it's like that with uh, Stu Fishbein, a good friend of mine, also in the birth community. He has a great podcast, the Birthing Instincts podcast. He, he and I will get on the phone and chat for like 90 minutes. And I'm like, God, when are we just going to hit record on one of these? And we finally did it not not too long ago. Um, yes. But uh, it's the same with you. So anyways, start wherever you want with this whole story of steaming. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, so steaming, steaming goes by different names. Right now it's known most commonly as vaginal steaming um, in the media, um, specifically because of um, Gwyneth Paltrow talked about it in her, um, in her blog on Goop and mentions vaginal steaming. But um, another name for it is pelvic steaming. Um, another name people like is yoni steaming. Um, sometimes you can just call it a hip bath or a steam bath or an herbal steam. So we're talking about the same thing here. And so essentially what it is is that you sit over um, steaming water, um, possibly with herbs added as well. And you, um, you, know, you let it you know, touch the entire you know, pelvic region and it increases circulation and, and, and whatever it, it might do. We don't quite have studies exactly on what it does, but, um, but women traditionally have used it um, throughout the ages. It's um, an original form of um, midwifery care, self-care, um, a home remedy. And um, I actually think of it kind of as its own little form of gynecology. Yeah. Um, because uh, when you look at historically what steaming has been used to treat, um, it's used to treat kind of all the things that somebody might go yeah. to a gynecologist for. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think it's always important to highlight. People see these types of modalities and they use terms like alternative or complementary or whatever. I feel like this is should be a natural extension of what we do in gynecology because it's the least invasive. Really, le- I think it even is the lowest risk of all of the interventions, so to speak, that I've learned over my years of training and getting experience with these things. And while you might be thinking, God, hot steam, how dangerous... I haven't had a single person who has burned themselves. In fact, I was probably the only one. And what happened was I had a, a burner. I didn't burn myself, but I had a burner. And I put the the pot, uh, I had like a jet boil pot, which has this like nylon covering to it. I put that on the on the fire. And the the pot, this wrapping is actually what caught on fire. So I learned from my mistake there, but I was like sitting on it and I was like, oh, oh my. And then I got up and it was like, oh shoot, that was not the right implement. But if you do this, appropriately even just having a pot of very hot water and you have a stool with a hole over it i use a bedside commode i got it for five bucks on amazon uh, or a facebook marketplace you sit there and it is like 20 minutes just to yourself nobody has had any complaints if anything they're like gosh it was just nice to be there like be still for 20 minutes and the warmth of these medicinal herbs coming up into the yoni through the uterus into the fallopian tubes like it just felt so good for every single yeah. person I've recommended it to. And cervical dysplasia is going away. Their, their, you know, their chronic UTIs or their chronic bad bacterial vaginosis seems to be at bay. Their fibroids, their periods start to regulate a little bit better. Um, there's, there's just endometriosis. There's been so many people that have just felt better doing it. So even, yeah. if, even if we don't know and can't say, here's the physiology or whatever, which you can get into, People feel better doing it. So there's something to it. Why not investigate further as opposed to like poo-pooing it and pushing it aside? Mm-hmm. Well, that reminds me, we did, um, last time we were talking, we kind of uh, started going into history. Do you know the book um, Trotula? I know Trotula. She was one of the first female, she was one of the first physicians in Europe. And she started a whole like in Salerno, Italy, right? Wasn't she like the, the yeah. headmaster at the med school? Yeah, I remember. I don't know. I don't know about her book, though. Okay, well, just the books that are, you know, that that she, um, I don't know if they're written about her or that she she wrote. But basically, she, um, she was, kind of, is kind of recognized as the first, one of the first female physicians in Europe. And her book of gynecology, which now we can just refer to as Trotula, um, was kind of like the Bible of gynecology. All throughout Europe, it was like the standard, you know, for what is done, you know, like for how to take care of women. But um, if you have looked at that book recently, in the 1100s, 1200s, every single remedy that she has involves some form of steaming. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. Every single remedy, whether it was uh, fertility issues, like laboring pains, postpartum, they used steaming. She used steaming for everything. So it was really interesting. So it's, it, you know, this is actually what gynecology used to be, even yeah. according to European, um, you know, the European history of gynecology, because this was like kind of like the foundational book of gynecology. And for hundreds of years, it was the book. But then it changed very drastically um, to a surgery-based practice. Yeah. So yeah. there's never kind of there's never been a form of gynecology until present time that didn't include steaming, no yeah. matter where you go in the world. If we're talking about gynecology, if we're talking about midwif- midwifery care, or if we're talking about women's home remedies, there's never been a time or a place 
history. Like you, again, you find the old Chinese books. If you find any gynecological remedies, they involve steaming. Yeah. Same with the yeah. old Egyptian, you know, um, the old Egyptian artifacts that they find. There's recipes for steaming and instructions for how to do it, or pictures, right? Like there's no part of the world where it wasn't used. So you know. One one little yeah. uh, one little um, additional fun fact I'll throw in there is I I don't recall specifically but I think it was Trochula who she had written so much and then like after she had written and published all of this I think it was not even credited to her at one period of time because somebody had said something stupid like no woman at at, at this in this period of time could have possibly had this knowledge you know and which is the story I tell this in that episode 72 I did on the a briefish history of, of, of Western medicine and women healers. This is the ongoing story of women in the healing professions where anything that, that doesn't work is like, of course, she's a stupid woman. If it does work, it's not even credited to her and some man reworks the, the language a little bit and hijacks it and now it's, now it's respectable because there's a, some white European guy's name on it. But Trochula was uh, was highly regarded by her students, if I recall, and um, it's no surprise to me that so many women healers over the over the millennia have used these types of practices. Why would we question this if it's working for people? And meanwhile, we have become so. Um, I don't know. We 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 seem to have become so married to pharmaceuticals and surgery that we're not even willing to engage any of these possible steps to avoid those things. Now, it's a rhetorical question. Um, in, in other words, if this basic practice that's going to cost you maybe thirty bucks is helpful to you, and it may avoid a trip to get a painful biopsy of the cervix or routine, you know, extra Pap smears, extra screenings maybe endometriosis surgery, whatever, why not even just try it and see what happens with so little to lose? You know, it's, it's, we, we've, we've become so conditioned to lean into the medical system as if, as if the Harvard and the Hopkins doctors have all the answers. But just because it hasn't been published as a randomized controlled trial, let's say, to show that it is definitively better than this pill, people are just not willing to look at it. I just, I, it is the greatest frustration in my life. Wow, I feel you. But I mean, part of the problem is that people aren't really willing to look at women, right? Yeah. I mean, didn't like the like wasn't there a, a law had to get passed just to include women in medical studies, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And that wasn't until I mean, you know, you know this better than I do. Wasn't yeah, it was until, like, like the nineteenth century? Yeah, I, no, I mean, it was yeah, it was like late eighteen hundreds. But even then, you know, women would go into medical schools and they'd be like the only woman in a fifty person class and they would say ridiculous things like like they're not cut out for the grotesque nature of surgery you know their tiny little brains can't handle this and it's taking away their the 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 reproductive forces in their bodies to learn these complicated matters just just stick to women's worth that was actually the the way that they facilitated that was to create a new profession just for women and the uh, you know the Crimean wars and whatnot actually helped to foster an environment where women did have a place in medicine, but as nurses, they were going to take orders from the doctors. So uh, women have been healers since the dawn of time, especially if you think of like the Black Plague. They had something like a seven to one greater odds of surviving the plague. 
So naturally, all the men were dying and the women had to step up into the shoes of the healers and start to do their thing and take care of the elderly and the, 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 the sick and the children. But then as, as soon as the population started rebounding, they were like, okay, women, we don't need you anymore. It, it, it's it's an absurd history. So <laughs> It is absurd. But, I, you know, like to go back to that question about like, you know, why wouldn't steaming be used in general? Like, I think it was because, again, there was just a big disconnect. Yeah. Like, you know, I think the history of gynecology is fascinating because, you know, that was at first when I steamed, that was just like, whoa, like, this is incredible. How come yeah. everybody, you know, and it wasn't until I learned about the history right. of gynecology that I was like, oh, it's because there was a complete disconnect. Like, it wasn't like doctors took over, you know, women's medicine and learned from the midwives and all of the female physicians what they were doing at that point. No, and that's part you know part of something that you're an expert in. No, like the women were actually imprisoned, you know, <laughs> like there were witch hunts. Or know? burned so or, yeah, were, tortured and killed in front of their families. Yeah, I mean, plenty of... <laughs> completely cut off or had to go underground or killed off, right? And then you had now our, the current gynecology that we have kind of started from ground zero, which is like, put them on a table so that we could see what the vagina looks like. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like it kind of started from a very, you know, so we, we lost, we've lost a lot of, you know, the knowledge of, you know, what practices were used beforehand. And steaming is just one of them. But like, when you look around the world, um, it's fascinating to study like midwifery and birth working practices. Cause you find all of these practices that are from culture to culture, sure. from continent to continent, like, abdominal massage some form of abdominal massage is part of women's medicine it's not part of gynecology but you will find it on every continent right there are certain uh, herbs you know that are used there's wrapping that's used right there's just these certain practices and you'll find them uh, warm heat used on the uterus you'll find them in different forms but like on every continent and steaming is one of those you know there's these universal things so i kind of just feel like our, our, the gynecological tools that are available, you know, doctors are just um, very narrow and don't actually encompass all of what women's medicine is. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. We like to, we like to reduce it nowadays. Now, people are like, you're an expert in women's health. And I'm like, I'm not a woman. I can't be an expert in women's health. I have some really interesting ideas from listening to women and working so closely with midwives as their collaborative physician because no OBGYN in the state of whatever will, you know, sign orders for them or whatever. I mean, if I'm an expert in women's health, like <laughs> that, that leaves a lot to be desired, you know, um, without listening to women, without actually asking them, what was your experience with this therapy? I, when I, when I, when I started the steaming, you know, work, you know, taking your courses and whatnot. I was just like, well, let's just try it. I asked 10 of my female friends. I was like, can you fill out this questionnaire? Let me send you some herbs based on your response or, you know, your, your, how you fill it out and just tell me how you feel, your mood, your sleep, um, any sort of discharge, how are your periods? How is your sex? Like, tell me everything. Just, just journal for me. And again, 10 out of 10, they were like, this is fucking great. I don't know why I didn't know about this, you know? And then they're asking their friends and it turns out that some of their friends actually do this and they're like, oh my gosh, this is great. Without having curiosity, we're never going to learn what's right for the people that we've taken an oath to protect or, or to, to care for, to honor. And uh, women over, you know, as we've already mentioned, over the millennia have just been discarded. We haven't been listening. We haven't been paying attention. Maybe 
maybe a hundred years from now, they find that steaming causes your, your head to pop off, right? <laughs> we aren't even willing to open up the door into, you know, a refined clinical investigation as to how this could be helpful. There's no money to be made. Um, perhaps that's a part of it. But more importantly, people just think that women are stupid for even suggesting such a, what a silly thing to do. Meanwhile, it predates what we've been doing in gynecology for at least 5,000 years from what I was able to read. So say what you will about anything. If it works, you don't need to understand the mechanism. You need to start listening and asking questions and being curious. And then maybe it'll start coming to you, doctor. <laughs> that makes me think of a couple of things. But number one is that, again, it could be studied if somebody did it, right? That's right. Like ultimately you can take 10 women, measure their discharge, measure the difference in, you know, in their feelings. You can measure the difference in their hormones. You can measure the difference in their pH balance. It's not something that can't be studied. So I think that it's something that hasn't been studied. It's not rocket because science. Because it hasn't been a priority <laughs> right. of people who have the funding and yeah. are choosing what gets studied. So I think that's like, you know, one of the important takeaways from what you said. And, and also, so I have a, a pelvic steam testimonial database. I have a, a practitioner who got certified in Sweden and she had her website up and, you know, was doing steaming services and somebody issued a complaint to the government and they said, she's false advertising and she's endangering people, you know? And so she had to go to trial. Wow. So, <laughs> so, yeah, so she came into, you know, so she, she came into the steamy check Facebook group and we were like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? You know? And so she says, well, they're, show, they're saying that I need to prove that steaming is beneficial because that's what I say on my website. So we, we put together a database. Everybody sent in their, their, you know, experiences with steaming and had, you know, and then called everybody else we know. And so we put together, I think we have over a hundred entries in there and, you know, we rated it. Here was my concern before, you know, here was my concern after, you know, here's how long I steamed and here are, you know, what benefits I feel like I, I got or, you know, and then we asked everybody, you know, whether or not they feel like they received benefit from doing it. Yes or no, you know, it was a hundred percent unanimous. Yes. You know, and so it's like ridiculous because the studies, would you know they would just like blow everything out of the water like you're not allowed to have a hundred percent yes like we gotta find somebody who's it, no. <laughs> right, you know what I mean? right, maybe right. if we were doing a, a less warm crowd you know maybe we could find some of those notes but like ultimately like we had I, I i narrowed it down just to the people who were really dealing with some major concerns that, that they're we asked how disruptive is the concern you're dealing with and so you know they could rate 10 was like extremely disruptive to zero, you know? And so I just took the tens, you know, I was like, okay, so it had like 30 tens. And I think the majority of them got to zero after steam. No kidding. And then a couple of them were still at one or two. Right. And you're just looking at like, wow, what a massive difference, you know? And then they're, they're saying their stories, right? So you could, you know, they're sure. able to go to work you know, without having to, you know, to leave work or they're not needing to use ibuprofen, you know, like there was major, major differences major that, changes, you know, yeah. are, are measurable. Right. But you know, the steaming has a high, it has a high, um, it has a high approval rating. Let's just say that it has a high approval rating. There's a lot of benefits to it. Um, some that, you know, can't even be named. You know, somebody today was telling me that, you know, her husband was dealing with anxiety and he steamed and he, found that it was you wow. know, really relaxing and soothing to him. And so he continued to use it because he has a really stressful job, yeah. just really just for his anxiety, right? So, you know, like some, some of these, that's, that's a little bit harder to measure, you know, other than like, say like, you know, if you're looking at, uh, 
you know, prostate, an enlarged prostate before and after screening, you can see that it's measurably smaller, which if we did a study, we would probably find that prostates were measurably smaller, you know, after steaming, for example, yeah. you know, but, um, but even, you know, yeah, it, it has a really high approval rating. Um, other than the people that just think it's ridiculous because I've seen you. And so the other interesting thing for me with you is that you're a doctor you've got that MD behind your name. You know, you've got a lot of experience, not only you're an MD, but you've been trained, I believe also as a, you know, under other modalities as a, with midwives and all these different things. Right? So to me, you're more of an expert, you know, than anybody because you yeah. are an MD and a steam practitioner and a midwife, right? So to me, it's really important what you got to say, right? But I have seen these doctors completely discredit you. Oh, he, you know, he just goes with anything or he doesn't believe in science. Like I, I, saw, I saw a thread and I was like, why are they saying this? You know what I mean? Like, like they pretend like we're doing this like based on like, you know, like the thing is, okay, here's the thing. Like, People rarely do things voluntarily that aren't paid for if it doesn't work or feel good. You got to understand, everybody who's steaming right now, we're paying for it out of our own pocket. We're trying to figure it out. We're trying to put together these pieces, and we're doing it on our own time. No, Nobody's doing it for us. You know what I mean? Like, everybody's scrambling yeah, to figure absolutely. out how to do this. People wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't having amazing results and making people feel good even if it was just making people feel good, you know, that would be one thing. Absolutely. It's it's drastically changing people's quality of life. But the problem is that I think one of the major problems is that a lot of times society doesn't really value women's quality of life in the same way. And maybe you could, um, you know, speak more to this, but what I was reading about like birth control, you know, early on like development of birth control, was that they had it for men as well, but they were like, men aren't suited for the decrease in the quality of life. So let's just continue to develop the one for women. In other words, it's okay for women to have nausea. You know, it's okay for them to have headache because they can handle that, whereas men can't, right? So what we have here is a value choice in that women's lives are considered more valuable and that disruption to their life is considered okay by those that are in charge of making those decisions. I got nothing to add to that. I, I think you're spot on. <laughs> and the reason I say nothing to add is because I, I sometimes feel like I'm just bloviating. I'm just blowing my own smoke all day long talking about the lack of reverence for birth, but also which reflects our lack of reverence for women's value in our society. And it's not just because we need them to make babies, like there's some sort of uh, incubators for the the men to have playthings. It's... I won't even, I don't want to go too far down this because, uh, but, but the, you know, even the word yoni, people are so bothered by it. It's like, why are you bothered by it? Like, why are you bothered by the word vagina? Why are you, I mean, like, like we use phallic all the time. Why don't we use yonic? I was talking to my sister about this and she was like, I'm going to start using yonic. Um, we just have this very, very bizarre, um, perversion, even in our language around sexuality and in 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 reproduction and it's probably partly religion it's it's certainly cultural um so for anybody listening out there if you think it's a strange idea to sit over a pot of boiling herbs i hear you 
there's a milieu of reasons for which you may feel that this is a little bit of a strange thing to do. And not a single woman who's tried this has had a bad experience. I mean, under my care. So um, having said all of that, I mean, we, you and I could go, we did it on your, on your, uh, for your group. You know, I think we did a, a pretty fair job of, of, of kind of illustrating some of the perils that we find ourselves in, in maternity and gynecologic care, women's health care in the United States. But we can, we can build a life raft. And I do think that vaginal steaming, now that it's a part of my practice, uh, all of my fertility clients get a consultation um, with me. I send them herbs from your site directly to their house. I give them the program. Um, they're not yet pregnant, but when they get pregnant, suddenly now everything is even more you know, hard for people to understand. And I will, I will say as a disclaimer, if you're pregnant or you're immediately postpartum, you need to find a practitioner that really, really has dialed in their skills in um, how to recommend the duration, the frequency, um, which herbs to use, et cetera. But the, the, the sort of um, softball question for you is, do you have clients that use this in pregnancy and postpartum? And maybe you can sort of illustrate exactly what that might look like um, and why it might be beneficial. Yeah, yeah. So I want to say that steaming is contraindicated during pregnancy, and this is just a verbiage thing, um, but it can be used for labor and labor preparation. And, um, you know, what's important to understand with steaming, um, at least how it appears to work based on, you know, what observations people have after steaming, it does appear to open up the canal. And then, um, like, I actually used a mirror one time, and after steaming, it almost looks like a tunnel. Like, you know, so wow. you can actually observe, yeah. you know, the difference, you know, that there's an opening, right? And steam opens everything, right? Steam, we know steam can open everything. It can sure. get through metal, right? Like, steam engines aren't used anymore because <laughs> steam can corrode the metal, right? Like, yeah. anyways, the point is steam can open and get into, into spaces. And so, um, even if it doesn't, even if it just touches the vulva, there are blood vessels that go up to the vaginal canal from the vulva, <laughs> right? And then from there up into to the uterus and to the um, right to the uh, fallopian tubes and ovaries. And so when people are trying to understand how the steam, you know, is getting or can impact something in the uterus, that's how is that ultimately there's blood vessels that connect all the way from the vulva through over to you know to the entire the entire uterus so um so whether it's just that blood flow um circulation improvement or whether there actually is an opening i believe there's an open an opening that happens and then again at the bottom of the cervix there is an you know the cervix is closed but it opens during menstruation it naturally has times that it opens it opens during sex it needs to open as long as it ever is going to open in order to get that baby out. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And let me add to that. Let me add to that. If you track your fertility awareness, you know, the cervical position changes, the type of cervical fluid or mucus changes, your basal body temperature, all those things change. When I learned about fertility awareness, not in residency, mind you, um, when I started reading like um, Lisa Hendrickson Jack's book and Nicole Jardim's work and uh, some really, really great resources out there. Women that just took it upon themselves to put the book out there that every OBGYN resident could have read. I found them and I was fascinated. So I started studying it and I even was sort of keeping notes of my, uh, of my own. Like if I was, my wife and I were being intimate and I had my fingers inside of her, I could feel her cervix is right there in the, 
there's a dimple. Like if you waited two weeks after that, the cervix is not even, you can't even feel it. You have to reach way back there and it's like a hard knob. So these physiologic changes, this is what we could have been teaching young girls in sixth and seventh grade, but instead we were scaring them away with ulcers on the penis, you know, photos of, of a head emerging, like, look how scary it is to have sex. Look at the horrible things. We could have been teaching them, <laughs> could have been teaching them a little bit about their, 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 <laughs> their physiology, um, and, and their anatomy. So you're absolutely right. Like these are, na- these are normal changes. The steaming helps to facilitate the normal physiologic changes that happen outside of pregnancy. And now that you're 37, 38 weeks and we're, you know, trying to maybe provoke labor to happen, maybe 40, 41 weeks, maybe you're getting desperate and your doctor's threatening an induction, could a person use a little bit of light steaming in order to help kind of ripen up that tissue? Absolutely, absolutely. And the nice thing about steaming for labor preparation is that there are very few contraindications. So the only time that you can't do it is if vaginal delivery is contraindicated. Ah, okay. okay? That's fair. So in cases where the there's placenta um, privia, where the placenta is, is like, you know, um, between the baby and the cervix, then it would be dangerous to do a vaginal delivery, right? So that would be the case that you wouldn't want to use steaming. So if vaginal delivery is okay and safe, then steaming can be used. Just like a hot shower can be used, a walk can be used, and all of this helps to increase the circulation. The same with steaming. It helps to increase the circulation. But I also believe that, you know, it's real targeted. So you're targeting that vulva and you're getting that blood flow specifically throughout the uterus to do whatever it needs to do. Yeah. And it can be used. I recommend um, if you have a practitioner, I, I, I recommend working with a steam therapist who's trained in using steaming for a labor prep. And I recommend um, meeting with them at 36 weeks and then you'll meet with them weekly. Um, and, and, then, and then they can adjust things as they go. If there does start to be induction pressure, sometimes people face induction pressure at 37, 38 weeks, you know, um, there are different things that they could do to help, like, you know, prep the body more and get get, get things moving. Now, it doesn't induce. Um, there is a kind of like, a, what, as soon as people hear this, they're like, oh, this is an, a form of induction. It is not a form of induction. There's nothing unnatural about it. There's it, more than taking a, a, a hot bath, you know? Yeah, um, that's a really, that's a really good point. It's sort of like saying that eating dates or something is a form of induction. It's really not. It's actually helping... Um, it's helping to nudge your body onto the path towards going into labor on its own. You're providing it some additional resources to do that. We are not like suddenly now you're steaming and your baby's going to be coming out. Like that, I don't perceive that. I don't think that that's an, in any way should be in somebody's language. So that's a really yeah. good caveat. Yeah. And we're really not trying to force the body in. So steaming done for labor is actually a modified form of steaming. Um, It's only five to 10 minutes. It's very mild and you can do it even without herbs, you know, like just a little, you know, steam session. Now you got to understand that there are things that can be stalling somebody's labor, right? So somebody, if they don't have enough circulation, it could be, you know, their labor could be stalled and then they go and they get that nice walk. And then now all of a sudden their labor, you know, starts and starts progressing. That's why, you know, there's this, okay, you got to keep walking. You got to hear you know, again, you don't want your body to be stalled out, but when you're super preg, like, you know, your body is <laughs> like, uh, you know, like you, the, the, 
blood flow gets cut off to the brain. That's why we call it pregnant brain. You know what I mean? Like blood flow is lower totally. you know, when you're that pregnant, right? And so anything that's helping to increase that circulation is beneficial. And so steaming can be one of those things. But added benefit for, you know, if it is actually helping to open the cervix and if it is helping to prep that skin, you know, there's this um, trend of doing a perineal massage using oil to kind of stretch the perineum so that, again, that there would be hopefully likelihood to tear. That makes sense to me. Well, steaming does kind of like that same thing, but without having to actually manually get a finger in there, right? Because steaming makes the skin more elastic. So, for example, my, my case, I had a 10-pound baby, and I didn't tear at all. I had steamed prior to the labor. So, you know, you, when you look at that, that's just one case. But um, now there is, um, in the Czech Republic, um, there is a birth worker, a doula there, who actually um, works with a midwife. And the midwife was like, come to our hospital and train our, the maternity ward in our hospital. They work with nurses and midwives in the hospitals there. So she went and she trained them and they started steaming. They started offering people steaming um, when they were in labor. And, um, and this is actually interesting. I actually teach about steaming for labor preparation leading up to it. Although I was like, yeah, you can do it in labor if you need to, or if labor is stalled, for example, you know, there's certain situations, but she just, they just started offering it to people in early labor. <laughs> okay. And what they're finding, and hopefully fingers crossed, I actually had a meeting with a researcher in the Czech Republic about it today. We want to do an official study on this, hopefully, if we can get the funding. Oh, that's but cool. But what they're finding is that when they offer, when the, the patients do the steaming, that they have a uh, less chance of um, tearing. Like, I would say almost like no tearing at all. Now that they've done it with hundreds of people, there are some people that will still have some tearing. But for the most part, you're getting, I don't know, 90, 95% of the women are doing vaginal births without tearing. That's wow. what steaming is, you know, is showing. And that's an interesting one. I hadn't really thought about that too much. And I hadn't even thought about my own experience. But I do remember people, uh, a doula, and I, oh my gosh, she's that big. I didn't tear at all. I was like, I don't, I didn't tear, you know, like, so that just felt like, you know, just a chance at first. But now we're seeing when more people are doing this and we're observing it is that, it makes sense. It makes the skin more elastic. So it yeah. protects and, and makes it easier for it to be able to stretch without tearing. Um, so I think that's uh, one of the really awesome benefits. And then you've got um, what they're also finding in the Czech Republic is that people are having shorter overall labors and not having the need for uh, medical transfers or medical interventions or as much. So what happened was they started in one hospital and then they were having so many great results that word of mouth spread. And so another maternity ward hospital uh, hospital invited them to come and train. So this um, doula, I have to say her name, Monica Balova, is excellent. She has now um, trained over 30 hospitals in the Czech Republic and no Slovakia. Over wow. 30 maternity wards are trained to do steaming and are offering it to their patients. They love it. They love it because they don't send people home from the hospital when they're in early labor. So now they've got somebody in the hospital who comes in too early and they're there for two or three days, right? Because <laughs> they were just real early on. No, when the people are doing the steaming, it gives them something to do because people are nervous, you know, they're excited, especially in that early labor. It's like, what do I do? You know, they have something to do that feels nice. They love it. And what they're finding is that the, um, 
so I will say that like the measurements that we can, you know, are really important to say is that they're having less um, birth, they're having less perennial tears, they're having um, shorter labors, and um, the, they're having less need for medical interventions or transfers into cesareans. I would say it's at zero, but you know, I keep on talking to her like, how is it now? You know, and of course yeah, that's a huge yeah, right, right, right. project to be monitoring every hospital in every situation, which is why right. we need to do some research to really understand like what the findings are. But the, the medical staff, they love it because they have now something to offer these, you know, their patients sure. and their patients are having a much better experience. And then what they're, the other part of it is that they're finding that the patients who steam are just a lot more relaxed and a lot better able to handle um, the, the whole, you know, experience, right? And that is, you know, again, one of those things like, do we value women? Like, <laughs> if we valued women, then that's very important that this helps make it, like, more manageable for them. You know, of course, that's, that's something that's going to be important to every woman, you know, and birth giver um, that is going to hear this is that ultimately it, it's, I, I actually think that if you looked at it, I think that steaming and the circulation increase, I think that it creates a, um, some type of a hormonal release of oxytocin, which creates a relaxation. I think that based on the fact that doesn't sex really like create sure an oxytocin does. release? Yeah, it sure does. Anything, it sure does. Anything that stimulates the inside of the vaginal canal. Okay, so I, I was I was reading up on a study that was done um, in Northwest, and they were, I don't know, these studies, they sound crazy, and I'm not, I don't know. What, I was reading the study, okay? This is what the study said. They were stimulating the vaginal canal of rats <laughs> or mice, and then, the, and then they were stimulating the cervix. And what they found was that the mice had a 300% higher release of oxytocin as a result of the stimulating. So to me, when I think of steaming, it is absolutely stimulating those areas. And oxytocin, you can speak more to it than I can, but one of the, you know, one of the things that happens is people feel really relaxed afterward. And that's what oh, yeah. people report after steaming. Some people, some people can't drive, some people have to nap after steaming or they fall asleep while steaming, right? And then people also report like, um, uh, I would say like more enhanced sexual experiences afterwards as well. Again, that's something that is, um, you know, that oxytocin can be traced to. And then the other really cool one is uh, milk production. So there are people who postpartum will sit and steam and then they'll be like, oh, I feel I'm filling up, you know, like they will feel like immediately. And, you know, one of the cases that really stood out was a woman who had, uh, she had a preterm baby. And so she had this preterm baby and she was just really struggling to have that breast milk because, you know, it kind of, it's just a hard start to, to breastfeeding. And so she was just really struggling to just create, just to, to produce a couple drops. And she somebody did a steam session for her and so she, she sat and her milk filled up and she was like, oh my gosh, give me the baby. The baby was sleeping. And she was like, wake up the baby, bring the baby. And she wanted the baby to eat while steaming because her, her, her breast filled up with milk. Right. And so these are all things that are related to oxytocin. And so, I think if we actually studied it and looked at it, I think we would see that the steaming creates the oxytocin release as well. So come back to labor and what's going on during labor and the need for this relax relaxation, right? I mean, isn't that, I mean, you guys medically use Pitocin to create that same effect, right? Like you guys have something to, to stimulate that, right? So it's that same thing that I think is happening, you know, if steaming is used for labor prep and or during labor. I'll add to that. I think you're onto something. I think that 
you know, we like to know what's the mechanism of the steam. Like, is it the steam? What, what is it in the herbs? And like, they want to find, we want to find that like chemical that does it. But we forget that oxytocin, which is different from pitocin, that's a synthetic analog to this beautiful giant, by the way, uh, hormone. The molecular structure is massive. It, it's produced in the hypothalamus. It's released from the pituitary. And it governs over your ejaculation if you're a guy, your orgasm as a female. The, um, it causes a quivering of the uterus, bringing the, the sperm up towards the openings of the fallopian tubes. I'm sure I've told you this you know, before, but I'll, I'll just bear repeating for my, my No, tell audience. me, please. This is why um, <laughs> it like causes. Yeah, and so everything I'm describing here is actually related to getting pregnant. So the love hormone, oxytocin, this big, beautiful molecule, has all of these beautiful tasks in the body. And then when labor starts to happen, oxytocin causes, of course, the surges. It ultimately results in the fetal ejection reflex and the milk letdown reflex from the breast. It's all governed by love, oxytocin. If you give artificial oxytocin, this pitocin as it's told in the States, you're going to get, you're going to hit the receptors on the uterus, but you miss out on all those other things. So I would venture to say, oh, and, and the other thing is that if I scare you, if I'm asking you scary questions while you're having surges and whatnot, I can scare those surges away because your catecholamines, your epinephrine, or your you know adrenaline, noradrenaline, epinephrine, norepinephrine, the same things, that actually will suppress the activities of the love hormone. So that's why when women are under duress in the hospital, we have to keep cranking up the oxytocin to get the same effect. If you leave a woman undisturbed and she feels like she is cozy and warm and safe, she can give birth, no problem. We see this happen in mammals, we see this happen in humans. So what I suspect is happening is actually better than that oxytocin. You're actually getting the natural release okay. of har- uh, yeah. Well, you're you're getting the natural release of oxytocin way better than than the artificial stuff, and it probably is due to the fact that somebody is actively caring for this person who would otherwise maybe be a little bit frightened about what's going to happen. You know, they're right there. You've allowed them 20 minutes of just leaning into this experience. Add to it orgasms and making out and puppies and playing with your kids all release oxytocin. But even just the simple practice of let's just sit down and let's steam. And that steam is going to invigorate the tissues. And it probably is going to release some natural oxytocin because you're being loved, you're being cared for. It, it doesn't, I don't think it needs to have a mechanism through the pharmacology and in, in, exactly. anatomy and everything. It, it, it would, feels good to be cared for. It's like a spa day. And that will release oxytocin. It's so relaxing. It's so... When I left hospital-based OBGYN practice several years ago, I had the option to join um, the, the midwife community as a home birth attendant. And I was getting all of my ducks in a row, and I was figuring out what it was going to cost. But then I realized, you know, licensure was on the horizon. I'm going to be competing with the Kentucky midwives. And they've worked hard for this. They've been doing great work for years. And I love the traditional midwifery model of care, but I'll never be a midwife. So while I do attend some home births, I also um, figured out that if I really, really believed in the midwifery model of care, let me do my best to make it possible for midwives to do the thing that midwives do so well, which is providing patient-centered, compassionate prenatal care all the way through the postpartum um, time period. So <clears throat> that gave birth, this realization gave birth to my collaborator program. I invite midwives of all types in any state to check out my website. It's belovedholistics.com collaborate. 
And you can find, you, what you'll find there is that I've put together a program whereby you can have me as an MD consultant to bounce anything off of, any issues you have with interpreting labs, um, perhaps interpreting, you know, some, some help with clinical decision making for your patient that just had some wacky urinalysis labs come back. Um, at the gold level, I also will prescribe medications, order imaging, order labs. I am willing to get licensed in your state, and if you're in a state that requires a prescriptive authority or a supervising physician, there's all these different names, I'm also willing to do that at the gold level. So all of the details are available at BelovedHolistics.com. Just click the Midwives tab at the top, and you'll get to see all of the information there. And then when you're ready to enroll, you can just pop over to the website join it. It's a monthly membership fee. You also get access to all of my summaries of ACOG's practice bulletins and also many of their committee opinions. And at the gold level, there's twice monthly peer review. And um, you're going to have a whole community of, uh, of midwives, my entire network, in order to help support you, whether you're, early, whether you're early in practice or you've been doing this for many years. So go to belovedholistics.com slash collaborate or just click the midwives tab um, in the menu on my website and we can get started working together. All right, let's get back to my conversation now. Uh, like you just it's like after sex that like that that afterglow where you just want to like lean into your partner that's kind of what steaming does to the vulva the vagina the cervix and every other part of the reproductive system yeah yeah i yeah it's incredible and that's what i you know as important as the herbs are just in you know being an educator about the benefits of, of pelvic steaming i just want people to understand is like Ultimately, the steam itself is doing something just by increasing that circulation and that warmth. Um, it's allowing the body to function in the way that the body should be functioning. Yeah. Right. So, say somebody's labor is stalled or or you know or or delayed because they are scared, <laughs> right? Or just in a scary environment that they don't feel safe in. You offer that steaming, and now what? Now maybe they won't need that induction. Yeah. Maybe they won't need those interventions, which ultimately, um, you know. Um, maternal mortality rates have been, you know, in the in the press lately and are a hot topic because in the U.S. women are dying at like a really high rate compared to everywhere else in the world, right? And well, at least um, among the developed, the, the, at least amongst the developed nations, we are not doing among all that the great. developed nations. Yeah. And so, um, you know, again, we look at these interventions, and you know, again, these interventions, if you don't have to use them it's safer, right? If you don't have to use them, it's going to be much better. So anything that's preventing the need for those interventions is beneficial. And we yeah. really, especially, you know, in the United States at this <laughs> this time, need to be looking at those um, when we're looking at what is going wrong that's causing us to have these higher mortality rates, you know, especially totally. when we're looking at, um, you know, Black, Indigenous, you know, Hispanic mm. and other women of minorities Absolutely. who have even higher rates, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so so it's a great. I think it's a a really novel application. I really like what they're doing over in the Czech Republic. I'd be really interested in reading that research if it was ever able to happen. Um, Nathan, we need funding for it. Let's say that right here and right now. Right now, if you want to fund it, send wow. Kelly a message. Well, well, what's your email, Kelly? Just in case people. I mean, we're going to keep going in the interview, but right now, if somebody wants to yeah. send you an email. Steamy and you find a little chat thing that gets to me but my email is kelly at uh, kelly at steamychick.com and or sorry let's say hi at steamychick.com h-i that's kelly h-i 
But, you know, um, and, and they gave me like these really low numbers for the research. So they were going to do this research on, I think they were going to have a hundred women in the steam group and a hundred women in the control group. I think it was $85,000 that they said that they would need to do it so they can get it done for like, you know, amazing rates. And it, you know, if anything, it's just, it's that start to, you know, like th the thing about this type of research is that it takes somebody who values it to fund it. Yeah. <laughs> right. So those individual donors or somebody who knows a family foundation or know a board member of a foundation and can speak to this, like, Hey, this is really important. Send them this podcast and be like, would you guys fund this? But those individual donors are really the ones that get this type of research done because there's no bigger, it's just so hard. We're not going to get to the NIH, you know, National Institute of Health, like, you know, board anytime soon as far as, and, and be able to change what their priorities are for what they're Absolutely. Doing, you know, the majority yeah. of the research yeah. funding in the world too. So, so finance this study. <laughs> finance this study. If anything, let's get that out of, and let's, you know, ooh, let's, let's put it out there, you guys. I, I know yeah. we can do it. Put out, put out the energy. Yeah. Um, yeah. One other thing I, I want to make sure that we, we do cover a little bit is uh, maybe a little bit of guidance or insights into um, what women's experiences have been in using steaming during their postpartum recovery. Can you speak to that? Sure. At all? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so postpartum is really cool. Um, steaming for labor, actually, you will find it in, in the book from Protula. That was one of the, the you know, the indications so for steaming. Cool. And so forth and it around the world you'll find it in a couple places you know i have a vaginal steam world map where i look at records of steaming all around the world and what it was used for and you find steaming for labor here and there but what you find all around the world every record of steaming that you can find everywhere that it has ever been used it has been used for postpartum postpartum is the most universal use of steaming um and uh when using steaming postpartum you know it, what it it, it, what, what you'll find is that um, it really, um, it shortens the, or it really helps with the postpartum recovery and shortens the amount of time that someone is dealing with, um, you know, with some of the, you know, the postpartum, um, like, you know, problems or side effects, you know? So, um, so I, um, I see with myself postpartum, I learned about it, um, in a Facebook group, <laughs> um, <laughs> In 2013, I had my first baby, and I had actually already known about steaming, and I was using it, but I didn't know that it could be used for postpartum. So I learned that it was used for postpartum, and I decided to give it a try. And um, you know, again, my first baby, a 10-pound baby, I did have prolapse. I had uh, prolapse. I would say I don't know, stage three or stage four prolapse, or you know, basically, for those that don't know, when you have a baby, your uterus can come right out with that baby, okay? Like, it can come down and out. And so mine was all the way down. My cervix was down at my vaginal canal opening. So, you know, it was visible to the eye. And um, that's a really bad feeling, you know? And I went to the bathroom. Yeah. Like, I just knew something was wrong and, you know, looked at it. And I just felt awful. I felt like, you know, it's just, it's just a bad feeling. Your body's not you know, organs aren't where they're supposed to be. And sure. one looks like it's about to fall out, you know, it's just a bad feeling. And so uh, I steamed, I actually steamed immediately. Now steaming postpartum should be done, you know, with a midwife, a birth worker, a practitioner who knows when it's safe to steam and when it isn't safe to steam, when they're still bleeding, it can be dangerous to steam um, for the same reasons that, you know, that, you know, any bleeding is, is dangerous postpartum, but you got to understand that steaming stimulates blood. So it can actually speed up 
bleeding. So it's really important that we're working with trained people at this point. But it was safe for me to steam. So I steamed and um, I immediately noticed the difference. The, the cervix was no longer visible and it was no longer something that I could, you know, that was at the vaginal canal opening. And I steamed every day uh, for about 30, for 30 days. Uh, but I want to say after day five or six, like, I want to say, I'll, I'll say day 10 for sure. I remember day 10 being able to put on jeans as, and it, and my stomach was flat and I've got, I got some muscles, you know, I got, <laughs> I could see my muscles and I could put on my jeans and I stayed home because I, I believe it's important to stay home um, postpartum for a certain time period. But I remember putting you know, putting on my my clothes, you know, and having my cute little baby and sitting around the house. And I, I felt good. I felt like my body, you know, I had my body back. And I remember that I was just at 10 days. And this was a vastly different experience than my mom friends and what they were experiencing. And um, I also, um, my lochia had completely cleared up by then. And what is lochia um, for people who don't know? What do you mean by that? Discharge. It's the discharge that comes out after. So you have to wear a pack um, or like big old period. They got these big old postpartum panties that they give you these bloomers. You know? Sexy <laughs> like bloomers. Yeah. So mesh wear, bloomers. <laughs> you, know, you have to wear pads afterwards. You know, this lochia is coming out. It's all of the rest of the birthing matter that needs to clear out. Well, with that steaming, uh, it, and it usually takes, um, in general, you're looking at a 30 day period for it to come out. But that's not the case when people steam postpartum. And this is, again, one of the really interesting things when you look at why this was used for postpartum care and how universal this was. Nobody who steams postpartum is dealing with 30 days of lochia, which means you're not having to deal with pads and, you know, whatever else comes along with that, right? Um, so I had this experience. It was an incredible experience. And this is actually when I started sharing steaming. I started sharing it with my mom friends. And I was just like, oh, shoot, like, you're still dealing with that? Like, try steaming, right? <laughs> also, you know, people, people's stomachs never go back in, sometimes never go back in, you know, yeah. whereas mine had gone, like, and snapped right back in. And that, who knows? Who knows whether that's just me or whether that was, uh, you know, um, a, a benefit of steaming, right? So ultimately, there was a lot of questions around it. That was just something I didn't realize how different it was until I started talking to my mom friends. And then... um and that's what I started recommending steaming. But I'll say like a couple years later, um, Kimberly Johnson and I did a study together called the fourth trimester vaginal steam study. Now it was just a trial study. It was self-funded by, you know, again, individuals who think that this was important and sent, you know, and we crowdfunded and raised some money and we did a study. Um, and we only ended up with, um, I think we have 12 people in our steam group and 12 people in our non-steam group. And um, so a tiny little trial study, but trial studies are important just in the world of studies, just in general, you have to do a trial study and set it up to see what the, what it would look like. And then also so that it can be replicated, you know, bigger with, you know, 30, you know, people in each group. And then, so it could be replicated that only once you have those trial studies, can you even get funding or apply for funding to get those bigger studies? So just everybody understands. It's like a proof of concept. Our, our humble little. Yeah, I'll, it's, I'll it's like a proof of concept. Yeah. Uh, that's what it would be called yeah. in the medical sciences. It's a proof of concept study. Hey, is this, is this something that's worthwhile to invest a million dollars into? But you can't yeah. do the big studies without that. So good for you. I mean, that's, a, that's an important yeah. uh, first step. So good on yeah. you guys. <laughs> yeah. 
But I will warn you, if you send this to a doctor who's against theamine, they're just going to say, this wasn't a big enough, you know, study. So you know, they're going to dismiss it. Okay, so, but that said, what we did was we had a group of women that we steamed and a group of women that, that we didn't steam. And what we did was we had a midwife do a, um, a vaginal exam. She had, she did an exam on them, a full exam on them on day four, um, day eight, and day 40. Okay, so everybody in the, in the study did had exams by the same midwife on those days, but our STEAM groups steamed five days in a row. After day four, oh. after their exam on day four, they steamed on day four, five, six, seven, and eight. So they steamed five days in a row. So that second exam that they got, now we're, we're comparing what happened when they steamed for five days compared to the group that didn't steam for five days. And then we didn't do any more steaming after that, but we looked at everybody at day 40. So, um, so it was fascinating. What we found was that these, some of the things that were I experienced also came out in this um, in this trial study, which was that the steam group, our steam group actually started out a little bit heavier. We 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 did their weight. We took their weight as well as their um, their circumference. We used a measuring tape to do their cir circumference. And what we found was just on average, our steam group just happened to start off a little like on the on the heavier side, um, our non-steam group. But our STEAM group lost more weight. By the time that they were no at kidding. day eight, our STEAM group, every single person, like overall, the average of our STEAM group was less weight than our non-STEAM group. So in other words, our STEAM group lost way more weight. Our STEAM group lost way more weight than our non-STEAM group, even though they had been starting off. They started off, you know, like uh, on average heavier. Um, and then they also lost more um, inches off of their waist. And, um, and what was interesting about this one was that at day 40, uh, so at the, after day eight, the, the non-steam group, they did start to lose weight and start to lose inches off of their weight, but they never caught up to the steam group. So overall, by day 40, the steam group had lost more weight and lost more weight, uh, more inches off of the waist than our non-steam group. So wow. that thing that, you know, again, and I wasn't taking pictures and I wasn't even on Instagram. You know, people take pictures right now for the grant. I took no pictures at day 10. <laughs> I did find a picture of me at like day 35 postpartum. And yeah, like, you know, again, I look real, you know, it looks like my body, but that's my memory of it. <laughs> so that, you know, so that it's like my body was back after 10 days. The midwife also did um, visual, like vaginal, mm -hmm. you know, observations on both. And um, used um, swelling, and gapping and and swollen um, skin and some different indicators to look at the different you know um, you know to look at all the vaginas. By day eight, the steam group did not visibly look at all like they had just delivered babies. So again, wow. their bodies had already returned to their pre-steam state. She would say, as a midwife, there was no way for what she was visualizing the vaginas of the steam group. There was no way for her to know that they had just delivered babies. Whereas the non-steam group, they did still have those indicators of the distress to the vagina and the skin and the vulva that had indicated. How, that how far babies. after the birth was this on average, did you say? So we, we did the first visual exam on day four okay. for all for everybody. And then we did the second visual exam on day eight. So we're in, talking about eight days. Eight days? Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. No sign that the steamers had given a baby, at least visually, while wow. yeah. looking at the vulva. Wow. That's fascinating. I know. Crazy, right? So one of the best, one of the, one of the really, um, one of the important indicators and some things that, now that I had predicted, 
that I have predicted based on my own experience and also the experiences of all the people around me. I were like, oh my gosh, you know. Um, but some of the things that I didn't predict was the um, was that the uh, she did the blood. She took everybody's blood pulse and blood rate, blood pressure, mm-hmm. and heart rate. <laughs> I say these right. And our steam group. Did I say those right? I said those right. right? Well, yeah, blood pressure and heart rate. Those are the two. The blood two pressure ones, yeah. and heart rate. So she took everybody's blood pressure and heart rate. And this is something that would be standard, like um, monitored on somebody postpartum. And what she found was that the STEAM group, everybody's blood pressure and heart rate went down. Every single one. So by day eight, everybody's blood pressure and heart rate was mm. lower than it was on day four. And everybody was within normal. It wasn't too low or anything, but it was just lower. Now, um, just a little bit of background. In general, people's blood pressure and heart rate are higher after when they're postpartum. Okay, it's like the postpartum time period. They'll yeah. be higher, and then they they will down over time. Well, by day eight, everybody in the steam groups' um, blood pressure and heart rate had come down, and were close, you know, closer to those normal ranges. Um, everybody in our non-steam group all of their blood pressure and heart rate had actually gone up. Theirs went up. But by day 40, theirs had come down to where our STEAM group was at day eight. Wow. So this is really significant when you're looking at causes of mortality, maternal mortality, because one of the things that kills people is eclampsia. Okay? So eclampsia is like basically... The, you know, the way that you can know somebody's going to be dealing with eclampsia is that their blood pressure goes up, spikes really high, right? And do you want to explain it? <laughs> Sorry. Well, Wait, okay, well, let me just finish saying what I'm saying and then you can ask. Sure, it, you know? yeah, yeah. Well, basically, if somebody's blood pressure goes up really high, they're having preeclampsia and there's danger there, right? And so the fact that our steam group's blood pressure had come down means that they were at less risk. And the fact that the non-steam group's blood pressure was going up was showing that they were actually at higher risk. And when you think about that 10 days postpartum or those eight days postpartum, because this was day eight that we did that second, you know, that second um, exam. By day eight, like you think about how stressful it is, you know, you got this, you're trying to get your sleeping patterns, you, you know, trying to figure everything out. Well, our, our non-steamers were more, you know, their blood pressure had gone up you know, by that point, it hadn't even started to go down. It had gone up from day four, right? So maybe at day one and two and three, maybe they're in the hospital, maybe they have a little bit more support, but by day eight, you know, they're home and they were more, you know, well, we could, if we relate it to stressed out, they seem to be more stressed out, (laughs) right? Whereas our non-steamers were actually um, at less risk of of preeclampsia and any danger related to that. Mm. I don't know if you want to say anything or help. No, I, no, I, I, yeah, I just wanted to, for people to listen, like eclampsia is super rare. That's seizures, sudden onset seizures, preeclampsia, and people don't die from those seizures. Preeclampsia comes in some cases that severe range pressures cause stro- uh, strokes is really what we're worried about. So uh, around the world, blood loss tends to still be the number one thing, but stroke mm-hmm. is a serious complication. Like you can't take care of your baby if you have a hemorrhagic stroke. So if we are able to mitigate, probably maybe it's through the nervous system or whatever else, their um, postpartum hypertension and all of that, then you're absolutely right. This is actually a mitigating 
intervention for those women, especially women who are maybe not being heard or seen by their, you know, by their providers. Um, you know, we're talking about black women, women of color in general, um, who are often dismissed with, you know, complaints of headaches and whatnot. If they're steaming, they probably do have um, maybe a little bit more reserve there, you know, so if their doctor brushes them off, at least they're steaming, at least their blood sugars or blood pressures are a little bit better controlled. But, you know, this is all, it's, it's still anecdotal, but when we are, if this is the body of data that we have to go on, again, I would say, why aren't we considering investigating this? This is not, not medication. This is not, nothing bad is happening. If anything, there's all these good benefits, you know, these, these really great benefits to these women. Yeah, that's how I feel. Like, goodness gracious, if I were a gynecologist, I would be racing to be the first one to get the finding to do this study. I mean, this yeah. is a huge finding. If yeah. if it turns out to be correct that, that this could be replicated and that this is totally you know, replicated, this it's a it's a huge thing, you know. But yeah. it also makes sense to me why, you know, without you know, we we had a world where we lived without these types of studies for a very long time, right? And that these weren't the only thing and the only authority, you know and the only Bible of, you know, what we know, but it makes sense to me why that no matter where you were in the world, that people were using steaming for postpartum, like this is helping with lots of things, you know, um, the, the, everybody, everybody in our whole study ended up with stitches, everybody, like, I don't know why, you know, we we (laughs) had nothing to do with their care. (laughs) And, uh, and again, our Steam group. We looked at. Um, we we asked them about um, burning, um, itchiness, cooling, and some other indicators, you know, related to um, stitch discomfort and healing. Our steam group was completely comfortable by day eight and didn't have any indicators. Whereas our so that's our steam group and our non-steam yeah. group continued to have problems up until thirty days, uh, forty days. They continued to have stitch discomfort. So you know, this is just somebody's ability to walk comfortably right yeah walk around absolutely to wear their clothes comfortably to urinate comfortably which is something you have to do several times a day right and so there was a big difference uh, when we saw the with the sutures yeah um good on hemorrhoids. you guys for doing this oh hemorrhoids go ahead there's there's more guys there's there are so many benefits to doing this practice um hemorrhoids go ahead. Oh. we're much better off I wanted to ask. I wanted to ask you real quickly. At what point do women, when you're, you know, when you were looking at the study, when was the first steam, like on average, after they gave birth? Did they wait a number of hours? Was it the next day? I'm kind of day curious four. about that. We did. Oh, oh so that was the steam was on day four. I thought that was when you did the examination. So you did the exam did and the they exam, did this, and uh, then we steamed to the steam group. Steam four. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Wow, that is really interesting stuff. Okay, so hemorrhoids and got every better. Other, we just did the exam on that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So it was interesting with the hemorrhoids. Hemorrhoids is the kind of thing where, uh, or from what we found, it seems like, so our, our, our steam group, everybody, everybody in both groups, or there was hemorrhoids in both groups and our steam groups, hemorrhoids were completely gone by day eight, but then they returned by day 40. So it seems like hemorrhoids would have been something that continuing steaming would have been more helpful, oh, you know, because they only steamed for five days Yeah. and then our non-steam group, you know, again, God bless them. The midwives said the hardest part of the study was not steaming them. Now, we didn't choose people that would have been steaming and ask them to stop. We just chose people, you know, and asked, will you be, you know, made sure that they didn't know about it and weren't planning on doing it. She said it was so hard for her to actually just leave them, you know. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, totally. 
So, okay, so then the Lokia was much better, our steam group. All their Lokia was in the final stages by day eight, and then none of them had Lokia by day 40, and then some of our non-steam group, so our non-steam group, their Lokia was still at the first stage. Um, they do Lokia by stages, kind of, it changes texture and color and stuff. Um, but they were in the first stage of Lokia by day eight, they were still in their first stage, and by day 40, some of them were still dealing with Lokia. So, those were, you know, some of the major things. And, and so, you know, just if anything, there's just a little bit of evidence more than just what I, what I recall was that I felt much better, but I also didn't have anything to compare it to. I had my first baby and I steamed. So I didn't know that it was rare that I hadn't torn. I didn't know that it was rare that even with a prolapse as severe as mine, that it went completely back. So that's why I was so shocked when I was, you know, hearing what was going on with other people and they were still dealing with prolapse a year later or 20 years later or 40 years later, right? Yeah, um, You're supposed to deal with that right away. You don't even steam that, that uterus <laughs> back up right away. You just steam it right back up, right? And so um, so these are some of the benefits of postpartum steaming. Now, postpartum, um, unlike the labor steaming, there's different things that need to happen. Some days, somebody could be contraindicated to steam, like they could be bleeding too heavily. Or spotting and I got you got to remember steaming stimulates blood flow so when somebody even has a little bit of spotting we don't want to bring on more blood flow because hemorrhaging heavy bleeding ultimately really really heavy fast bleeding is the leading cause of mortality worldwide so you really want somebody who knows what they do what they're doing I only recommend that um, post postpartum steaming is done if there's any lochia left um, well, let's say wait until it, until everything is brown. That's a sign that there's no that there's no active bleeding, um, or until it stops entirely before steaming. Unless you're working with a trained practitioner, a trained practitioner, my practitioners have to have with them a way how to stop bleeding. We have herbal first aid to stop bleeding. Um, just in the case that it happens, anytime you are working with somebody in this postpartum time period, I feel like any practitioner should have that as well. I also feel like doulas should probably be trained with, you know, first aid on hand to stop bleeding. Um, but anyway, that said, um, my, my steam therapists are trained and they have first aid on hand before any postpartum steaming happens. So that means they either, you know, they, they work with the person, have it shipped to their house. If they're, if they're working virtually, they also work with people virtually, but they make sure that those are in hand and that the and then they're monitoring that person. So some days somebody would be steaming and some days they would pause and then they would start again. There are a lot of benefits to steaming immediately postpartum, but this is the knowledge that the midwives and people who have been doing this right. for a long time have. They know when it's safe to steam and when it's not. And this isn't something that, the fa like the fact that people are learning how to steam on YouTube and, and spot you know, another postpartum that that's not enough knowledge, you know, to be steaming yeah, in this time yeah. period postpartum. So what I would really love to see in general is more birth workers trained in this. Um, and of course, uh, Nathan, are you bringing in as any other more OBGYNs? Who are I gonna wish. Get trained in but anyways, more, more, people, <laughs> more OBGYNs, OBGYN nurses and birth workers, people who are in the labor and delivery room and who are on the postpartum team should be trained in how to use steaming and then there are some situations that are absolute first aid, aid situations where steaming could you know be really helpful but again it needs to already be in knowledge already needs to be in-house in that labor and delivery room in that hospital wherever it is um so and i'll give one example um uh one of my practitioners um was uh, she did a home birth and her placenta didn't come out and so she said she squatted she said she squatted she she did she um she was doing squats she was doing massages and she was drinking herbs and she was doing all the things that she could 
and she still wasn't the placenta still wasn't coming out and nor was she having the contractions so she um she was like after a while you know ultimately it's getting very dangerous so that's that's a dangerous situation because of the for the for the people listening who don't know if the placenta doesn't come out um then this could start this could be one of the things that causes hemorrhaging heavy bleeding which the body does to try to like i guess the body does it to try to push it out or when the placenta comes out it come out with this heavy bleeding so anyways that, at least that's my basic understanding of it but anyhow so she steamed she was like okay let's let's steam she had the people around her set up a steam sauna she go get my you know go get my steam sauna and she said she sat there and then she said the placenta came right out she said effortlessly wow it just yeah slipped through right so this is a situation a first aid situation that we got to know about another one was um a friend of mine um they catheterized her during the birth. I'm not sure. I guess that's a practice that's used sometimes. And the catheter caused her to swell up a lot. And so um, because she was so swollen, um, she wasn't able to expel her bladder all the way. So it was retaining urine, which is, puts her at danger, danger of an infection and so forth. And so they didn't want to keep her at the hospital. They wanted to send her home with a catheter. Okay. I know that the catheter is what caused the swelling in the first place. So if this doesn't make sense to you guys either, it didn't make sense to me. Well, like, wouldn't they, the catheter... maybe they put the catheter in because she got swollen and she wasn't draining her bladder. Isn't that possible? They catheterized her during the delivery and the catheter caused her to swell up. So uh. they removed the catheter and they, you know, they, they saw, they, they, they scanned her and, she wasn't, she wasn't expelling all the way. So then they recatheterized mm, okay. and wanted to send her home. And she was going to come home. She was going to come back in five days and they were supposed to remove the catheter at that point. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just going, I'm not a doctor. I don't know how and why this made sense and why this was happening, but this is what was happening. And maybe there were reasons for it. I don't know. But, um, Going home with a catheter mm, not <laughs> and great. a newborn and a toddler. Not great. Yeah. No, no, thank is you. Not ideal. <laughs> and so, um, so we sent a doula. She's a friend of mine. So I sent a doula right to her hospital room. And this is a funny story because in LA and Kaiser Hospital with a steam box and going into this hospital room, all of the nurses and doctors that saw it were like very alarmed and like, what is that? And they were ultimately just kind of changed the topic yeah and after everybody left the room they set up and they did a steam session and um she after one minute was like help, help me to the bathroom help me to the bathroom and she everything came out and she said okay everything wow. my, my bladder's empty i can feel it right so within one minute of that steaming we've now resolved the medical problem and guess what the swelling immediately went down like by the time that they came and checked her again they were like oh yeah the swelling is is gone right so seems like it's a you, congestion you issue, like through Chinese medicine. It seems like there's like a stagnation, like stuff is junked up and somehow the steaming opens up the, the, the channels, you know, um, it's really it fascinating it, stuff. Right? I yeah. just equate it to yeah. circulation. You created that circulation and the swelling could disperse. And that's basically what happened. So literally they were able to see that she wasn't swollen anymore. Um, but this was an interesting case. The doctor was like, I'm not going to scan you again. And I'm sending you home with a catheter. I don't know what that is. I don't know what you did. And and so she, this patient, she asked, well, can you scan me again to see if my bladder is still retaining food, uh, retaining urine? And the doctor said no. And so she actually had to, in this case, um, turn down the care. And so she went home 
with with her steam box and had a midwife come and check up on her the next several days um, because the midwife could catheterize her if it was need be if if it was needed. But she didn't have any issues after that. She had zero issues. Wow, so interesting. So you just look at this one steam session really changed that first week of her relationship with her postpartum body and her newborn and the toddler, you Absolutely. know, and, and what was going to need to happen for her care. Like it's, it's just a very small thing, but it was a huge difference. Again, nobody else is that concerned about women being uncomfortable. That was a really <laughs> uncomfortable situation if she was going to have to totally. be catheterized for five days. Yeah. Or, or longer, you know, and, um, yeah. also because at, yes, or longer, because if the catheter caused the swelling in the first place, was it really going to resolve the issue? Yeah, I don't know. That's a really weird story. Um, so many applications. You know, you you mentioned, uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. You mentioned getting more practitioners, birth workers and whatnot. I'm curious, how many people have gone through your courses? Oh. Um, Do you have like a milestone like you've reached recently? 1,100 like people. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so Amazing. check out the steamy chick. Go to steamychick.com. There's a practitioner directory. So find a practitioner. Nathan is on there. He's like my first OBGYN practitioner <laughs> who took the time to go and listen to my lectures, you know, and, and, and do our, our, you know, assignments and, and exams and so forth. But um, yeah, there's practitioners. It was very and A lot well of them done. will work virtually. We, we, we work with people virtually because, again, if you've got a thousand practitioners in the whole world and women all over the world who want to try steaming and are trying to find out, you know, you got to be able to reach people a little bit further than just your immediate, you know, range. So, you know, we're also set up to just go ahead and send an intake form and receive it back through video calls. And, 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 and like Nathan said, send those herbs over and some instructions and, and get people steaming. Yeah, I'll do, I'll do anybody listening. You know, if, if you have any doubts about this, actually, and if you're a man as well, we haven't even talked about that, but I had like a, I have like a, constantly have like a little bit of like what we call jock itch it's like a basically a yeast infection but for a guy it'll be like in my groins especially if I'm not eating well and not sleeping well or whatever I did the steaming myself the intention by the way was to get herbs and steam and see if I could decrease my sperm count because I didn't want to get a vasectomy but then I got a vasectomy and it actually helped heal the vasectomy but also that that uh, tinea this this fungal infection that sometimes happens in my groin it was gone in like after one session, like, or at least I saw an improvement after one session and after maybe three days straight, it was gone. So, uh, there, I think there's a lot of applications for, for men's perineal and anal health for your, um, for your penis, for the groins, like I calling it pelvic steaming really matter, you know, really makes sense to me. Um, but I'll, for anybody out there who is really, really curious about this, but needs the extra permission, I'll do a free consult for you in the sense that if you reach out to me listening to this show, I'll send you Kelly's intake form and I'll give you the steam recommendations. I'll do it entirely free if you have any doubts, especially if you're a birth worker, um, if you're a childbirth educator, a doula of any kind. An OBGYN, for the love of God, can one of you just try this? I'm doing it for free. In fact, if you're an OBGYN, I will buy the herbs for you. And I will seal the envelope with a with red lipstick of my own. Um, come try this out. And if you want, if you're ready to do the training, um, we do have a uh, I do have a link up on my website that will get you um, uh, access to to Kelly's steaming uh, modules. There's two levels. There's the level one, and then the level two. The level two is the one that you had mentioned is the higher level. There's going to be the ones that have the 
the sort of nuance around the first aid, around, you know, pregnancy, postpartum, some of the more, I, I don't know, more clinical scenarios might end up at the, it's called a peristeme hydrotherapist. Do I have it right? Right on. And that's your term, right? You're the only one that trains people to do that. So um, if you're interested in doing the training that I did, I will tell you, Kelly, I've taken a lot of courses. Yours was one of the hardest. I mean, it was so thorough and it, it really, you really wanted to make sure people knew why they were recommending this during certain times, um, cloak or no cloak, heating element, like like ongoing heating versus no heating, which types of herbs, why are we blending the herbs like this, what is the energetic properties, the chi tonics, the kidney tonics. I mean, you really did an amazing job with the course. So I recommend wow. it to anybody. Cool. Invest I'm in yourself. So to hear that. Thank you, Nathan. Yeah, my, my pleasure. I was even thinking at maybe my Twins Breach conference, maybe I'll like have like a sauna a sauna setup or something and let people try it i don't know i'll have to figure that out <laughs> but no, uh, like your conviction behind it is incredible you know and obviously i've got some measure of that if i'm out here like my main profession is this health esteem educator <laughs> like i don't know how that happened but it is the case and it's just because like it's a travesty for people not to yeah. have access to this you know i agree oh it is. And so anyways, yeah, that's actually a good idea for that conference when you sent out the email. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. And I just, I was like, okay, yeah, I don't really have any reason to go or anything. But yeah, maybe we could set up like a, you know, like a um, a steam spa area, like a pop-up, you know, and we could, yeah, we could find some, you know, steam practitioners to come in and, and that way people can try it out because, um, and then also for the birth workers and the doctors and everybody, I just, I think that, you know, and, and what I do, you know, with my practitioners is I have you use it right? Like, yeah, exactly. yes, like understanding how it could be used for labor is great. And so you could learn that, but you start just by using it yourself, right? And that's how you got that knowledge, Nathan, at like, you know, that, oh, well, shoot, yeah. it helps with jock itch too, right? Like, yeah. ultimately, you get the knowledge by doing it yourself. Like, that's kind of, you know, how, how I feel it's important. But it's also a really important part to us um, regaining or reclaiming this knowledge that has been lost or buried for a very long time, at least in the Western world, you know, it's like, you know, people can ask all these questions, but ultimately you try it and you're like, Oh yeah, this is how, this is how it works. Or this is how it feels. Right. Yeah. Like it's not something, it's not book learning. You just do it. You know, it's like explain a hot shower, a hot shower. Anybody who's had one knows what a hot shower, you know, feels like, right. Like, so you just, you know, you start doing it and, and honestly, I've been learning the whole time. Like I, did, I know how it affected me, but you know, the people who have different situations, they steam and then they say that it, I'm like, oh my gosh, again, like the, the sutures, I didn't realize it was going to do that because that wasn't my situation. Right. Yeah. So, um, so we're regaining a lot of knowledge, like even you, like the post vasectomy, that's the first time I've ever heard of that. Um, the last time you shared that with me or, or the, um, the, you know, the yeast, the yeast infection, the jock itch. That's the first time I'm hearing of that. And of course it makes sense, you know, it, it makes sense, but that's, you know, that's one of the things as well is that this is something that we, again, we start using. And, and I think that there is a certain amount of steaming that should just be done at home. Like, I, I don't think all steaming needs to be done with a practitioner. I think it's really great for the first steam session to understand what herbs you need and what setup and what steam duration we use. I, I, you know, alter all of those variables based on this, the steam user themselves. So you, you get a really good setup to start off with. There's not going to be any side effects. And so, yeah, I mean, there can be side effects. Like the, the, the period, the menstrual cycle can change pretty drastically after steaming. 
but we want it to change the way we want it to change, not just randomly or right. like, you that's know, right. unknown, you know, or, you know, so that's where, you know, working with a practitioner at first, at least just know what your right setup and herbs are can be really great. But in general, I think everybody, this should just be something that people know how to do at home. And um, for the menstrual cycle, I recommend steaming once a month after the period, you know, and if there are any issues, you might steam, you know, before the period. Steaming during the period during active bleeding again, you know, we don't want to do that. Um, it's contraindicated. Yeah. Um, but that's, I think, really how a lot of this knowledge is going to be reclaimed, just by us reclaiming it and learning it ourselves. And so, um, so that's really cool. You know, the idea of yeah, of, of you know, just trying to get people to try it and understand what it is and understand yeah. what that setup is. It seems like the setup or the first steam is like the biggest hurdle. But once that happens, then it's like, oh, okay. Like, you know, I, I know you had like a Jimmy rig set up, you know, you MacGyvered it with some books. I did. Some, I really did. And, yeah. the black, and, then, and then you, you very quickly and easily were able to adjust it to a commode or, and, and you would know how to adjust it in a, a hospital setting, just like you would know how to boil hot water, even in somebody else's kitchen, right? Like, you, you know, ultimately a pot, you, you know, like it's, it's, you, you figure it out. Like once, once you have that familiarity with it, honestly, I'm shocked at how how strange it is now. Like you know, again, it feels like something. You brush your teeth, you wash your hair, you know what I mean. Like you steam, you know, like it. it you know what I mean. Like it doesn't. It's so strange to me at this point, you know, because it's just it feels so natural and so regular, you That's know, right. as a part of the care that you would do for your body, you know. Um, that it feels it feels funny to me at this point. I think that in the future, I think it'll be something like. Oh, was there a time period when people didn't bathe that, that sounds so weird to us that they weren't bathing or weren't using soap or weren't you know submerging in water like i think that's how steaming is going to be like yeah. honestly in about 20 or 30 years like it'll be like like my it'll be hard to explain to my grandkids what i did like what you touch people you taught people to steam like what yeah. like how and why would you teach people that like it'll be like what you taught, taught people, people how to brush their teeth to, yeah <laughs> brush their teeth people aren't doing that like i'm pretty sure it's gonna just become like you know, a very sure hope so. thing again. And then what I what I see in like there are a couple of places in the world where steaming is still used and is commonplace. And even in those places, everybody has knowledge of it and can do it and it will be used. But then during certain time periods, that's when there are people with higher level knowledge that will, you know, get a specific that's you right. know, herb formula for a specific problem. And and um, and so everybody has some knowledge can set it up, but then there are people you know that are more trained um, when there are specific issues. Yeah. But as general maintenance and hygiene, I think it is really something that um, I first learned about it actually um, from a Korean spa, and the Korean spa owner told me it was done once a month at least after the period, and it just helps to clear everything else out of the vaginal Makes so much sense. Uterus. Yeah. Hmm? Makes so much sense. And that made a lot of sense to me, and so that's just. I think the kind of thing that really everybody should, you know, start to figure out how to integrate that, you know, for people who do have um, menstrual cycles. And then for the fellas, you know, try it. I think for the fellas, okay, I don't know if you had this experience, but like, I think that it could be very stimulating for men. So I think that is something that, you know, like is important, you know, to mention. I, I don't know so. if you've had that experience, but I know, I know some men find it to be very stimulating. So I think that's important to know, but then it also a really great application when men are dealing with any dysfunction. Yeah, 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, like erectile dysfunction. Uh, we even could think about the energetics of premature ejaculation. I think there's lots of applications here. I might be the, the vanguard in investigating into some of the other other uh, practices for men. So we'll, we'll have to catch back up on that. <laughs> um, SteamyChick.com, Kelly Garza, the, uh, the boss lady. And uh, I really appreciate what you do. Are there any, is there any, any other things you want people to know, anything you're launching up, you know, upcoming or just head to the website and that's where they'll find everything? Yeah, there's a documentary coming out. We're going to start shooting a documentary um, in a few months and then yeah. hopefully by next year we'll all be able to watch it. And then at that point, I think that's when we can really start to move towards normalizing this. And, and what I'm really hoping as a result of the documentary, we are going to focus in on having, um, we're going to have doctors and feature doctors like yourself who do know about steaming and can speak to the benefits of it. And what I'm really hoping is that at that point, we could start to see this normalization of it. And, um, you know, as much as, uh, you know, as far as me and you can get educating people on Instagram, um, there's, I think, 100,000, uh, you know, surgeries that are performed every day on women like cesareans and, and hysterectomies and, and, and so forth and so it's like in order to disrupt that if yeah. steaming could have helped half of those cases or made them unnecessary or or more you know in order to disrupt that it really yeah. does have to get um, to a point that a doctor definitely isn't telling people not to steam we have situations where you know that, oh, and that's where I'm supposed to refer people your way is like where the doctors are saying oh you're doing what don't do that you know um but to the point where they could say well you know if you if you don't want to do the surgery maybe try this and then come back and we'll do another ultrasound to see if you're still dealing with you know you're still totally. in the same place or if totally. you've seen improvement like it can be something that can be um that's compatible with you know yeah. with the medical care system it's not something that has to be opposed and that's why we are going to go to the czech republic and show the steaming in the hospital there and how it's something that the hospital the maternity ward staff likes it's something that the doctors like they like when their patients choose to steam and to see how simple it is you know to offer that um at those opportune moments so anyway so that, can that i if, coming out, look out if, that. if you end up interviewing me can i go to hawaii for the interview or no, darn. <laughs> uh, the film crew keeps on trying to come to Hawaii, and I'm like, no, you guys, I'll meet you in LA. And they're just like, dang it. Yeah. Like, well, okay, I'll meet you in LA then. Okay, we'll go to Manhattan Beach or something. Fine, whatever. <laughs> or we could do it in my in my my neighborhood. I just want a reason to go and see Hawaii again. <laughs> All right, Kelly, thank you. I got to head into my girls right now, but you've, you've been very generous with your time. And uh, when I get through my Institute for Functional Medicine training, my anthroposophic medicine training, a billion other things, I'm going to go back to the level two, and then I'll be your only level two certified OBGYN steam facilitator. So <laughs> I'll be there. Thank you for having me today. Much love. Uh, what is it? It's not a lot. It's a uh, mahalo. Is that what you say? Mahalo? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks again. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in. Another amazing episode of the Holistic of Joanne podcast. Under wraps, if you want to find me, Nathan Riley, I'm the host. I am an MD. I'm a fellow of ACOG, meaning I'm a board certified OB Joanne. I'm also a board certified hospice and palliative care physician. 
can find all of my services and products at BelovedHolistics.com, including an online shop with discount codes for all of the brands that are at the top of their category from water and hydration to supplements to um, (laughs) courses. I mean, there's so much there. So go check that out. I also offer private consultation. You can buy packages. I'm also, um, of course, the PRP Fertility Program is open to all comers. You can find all of that at BelovedHolistics.com. If you're a midwife and you need collaboration from a physician, I got you. Go to Beloved Holistics. You'll find everything there. If you guys are enjoying the podcast, please support the sponsors. If you haven't left a five-star review, please go do that. It really, really means a lot. And lastly, if something in this episode touched you, share it with somebody that you love. I'm sure that they're going to love it too. We'll see you next week right back here on the Holistic OBGYN podcast. Take care and do no harm. Take no shit. Bye-bye, everybody.